Hi, Vince. Good afternoon, Jeremiah. I hope you're doing well. Fantastic. So today's episode. Yeah, uh, we were talking uh, about possibly talking about uh, Agile and uh, not so much Agile uh, methodology itself, but how you would sort of pitch it to, to people higher up in the, in the organization or people who aren't exactly in the dev team. Because Agile yeah. is a very exciting and fun project for a lot of developers to get involved in. Uh, but it can be really difficult to get buy-in from people in other parts of the organization. And they, they tend to uh, sort of see it as uh, the development teams kind of going wild a little bit and get, getting out of control. And that obviously leads to negative reactions, uh, clamping down on the development team, trying to reassert control, things like that. And uh, it's generally a good thing. So you want people to be going along with it. And I, I think it's worth talking about. So we'll, uh, we'll explain how Agile works um, for executives or, or managers who are used to working in a waterfall, waterfall type environment. Yeah, sort of what's in it for them and why it's going to make their lives better. We should probably start out by just sort of talking about waterfall and like why waterfall is good and why people like it. I wish we had good numbers on what percentage of developers and managers and organizations worked in these two models. And somebody must have that. So we, we need to do some research. Yeah. And there's a special middle section where you say you're doing agile, but what you're really doing is waterfall in a panic. And that's, that's right. always a fun, <laughs> that's always a fun place to be. So but yeah, waterfall. About, yeah. Okay. Go for it. So let's talk about how our organization that works in a waterfall model functions right now. Okay. Right. To me, I think of the traditional, um, command and control model, right? Where somebody at the top says, here's where our business needs to go. And they issue orders to, to the people below them who break that down into tasks, who hand those out to whatever level of team you have, right? And then people start to, to implement those, those different things, right? That sounds, that, that that sounds all correct. All the way down the org chart from, from Bezos to somebody writing code at some point, right? Somebody who actually yep. does that work. And it seems it's like very uh, significantly about trying to manage risk and exposure. Uh, you, you know, you, you know, you have a year, you want to get this particular feature out. You're going to have some sort of big meeting at the beginning of the year to sort of figure out the budget, figure out all the risks involved, figure out the amount of work involved as, as nearly as possible so that you can carefully assign the right people to this entire problem and be guaranteed because you've worked this out very carefully in January that in December, you're going to get the product that you want. Hmm. So it seems like it's a, like that's a pretty natural mode for people to fall into right? If it's, if it's your money and you have to make commitments to the market or you know something has to be done by a certain point and, you know, it, it just it, kind a certain of amount of like from responsible that. planning, right? That's, that's sort of being an executive. You're going to be responsible. You're going to plan it all out. Everyone mm -hmm. signs onto it and, and you're good to go. <laughs> so, so traditionally, right, this is what we in IT would think of as the illusion of control. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Or I like to call it, it's all lies. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, so as an organization, right, we get a budget, mostly that just gets allocated, you know, by the same percentage that it did in the prior year. And we figure yeah. out what, what, what our list of work is for the year. And 
and everybody gets reset when that work list comes out or that budget comes out. And, and as an organization, we find maybe we were not getting enough done for that money or we're constantly challenged on our deliverables and it's a struggle every year to do the things that we had committed to do. Um, yep. Right. So those are some of the traditional problems. Yeah. The, the, the end of the fiscal year, whenever that is say Christmas or something, everyone's working long hours trying to get these things in that they promised yep. to do at the beginning of the year. People are generally not pretty, very happy about that. And it's, it's repeated, you know, they think, Oh, this feels exactly like it did last year, that kind of thing. Yep. So, so maybe over time our, our spend on technology has gone up, but it feels like we're not doing any better for that or we're not outpacing the competition who's maybe spending the same or less. So we need to increase our output in, in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is a second, that is a second problem that people feel. They feel like they're being uh, overtaken in the market. And despite all the spend they're doing, uh, they're, they seem to be slow at delivering product and other competitors are getting out faster. So, so, so then, then we read some articles and we hear Agile is the solution to all of these problems and more. Right. So, we so we're going to go for, Agile, right? So and, we and often or somebody else to sell us Agile, right? Yeah. And often it's sort of a developer team revolution, right? They, they're mm -hmm. sort of like, hey, we got these guys, this, this crack team. They've started to do Agile. They seem to be doing a really good job. Let's have as many people do Agile as possible. And that kind of tends to feed on itself. There's a lot mm -hmm. of fun things about Agile. And, and then the executives, like you, you have this negative response a lot of times where executives are like, I have lost control of my development team. I kind mm -hmm. of don't know what they're doing. Unless someone tells me soon what's going on, we're going to start really just crushing this whole initiative, which, of course, uh, you don't want your developing team to be super unhappy. That's got to kind of have a lot of negative yeah. effects, too. So, Well, that actually, you just raised a really good point, which is, you know, is this agile coming from a top-down mandate, or is it a grassroots thing that people are, are finding as a way of getting work done? Right. Well, and, and, and even if it is a top-down mandate, they can be like, hey, we want Agile, and then they kind of don't, they, they still feel like they've lost control, right? Like, I have agreed that Agile is the future, so we should do Agile. But wait a minute, I still, I have no idea what's going on. So yeah. that does, that's also not good. So, so I, I think a good point of advice here, right, is in, in any significantly sized enterprise, right, there's going to be a bell curve. You're going to expect some people to be on the leading side of that and some some teams to be on the lagging side of that and yep. it's okay that everybody isn't using the same methodology you want some teams figuring out how our practices should be changing and evolving and you need some amount of room for latitude to do that so yeah there's a there's a lot of um there's a lot of pieces there that it, it takes a little while for you, you kind of have to see all the pieces in place and 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 talk through in order to see how they work with each other because it's a system and, and pieces support each other. And, and uh, so that's why that's sort of what we need to talk about. So should we take a minute to, uh, to explain what agile is um, to me? Uh, right sure. Right. Yeah. I've, you know, heard so many things over time, extreme programming, scrum, agile, you know, personally, you know, I read the pragmatic programmer long before agile, um, the agile manifesto was a thing right so yeah. i understood even as a developer right some of these practices of what i need to do just to get something done <clears throat> yeah okay 
let's not go through all of it, but you know, a little, a couple of like you know, one or two sentence definitions, because obviously we can just talk the whole uh, time on agile if we wanted to go. But yeah. So what do you get as sort of a definition for agile? So to me, it's let's take a a team and make them as autonomous as possible to figure out what they need to be doing and to deliver that in small increments, right? So to just get something out and and then work to iterate, right? And actually see the results of that in the market, right? So the results of that product in the organization, inside or outside, and let them make decisions based on that about how next um, to improve that product. Yeah, I would I would basically agree with that. It's all, you know, and, and again, I, I haven't recently read an agile definition, but it's, you know, iterative releases, working uh, software in the ha- in the hands of clients as fast as possible. Uh, well, sorry, not as fast as possible, but in, in increments that are repeatable. And then you can see how that particular release worked, evaluate, adjust, uh, repoint the repoint the strategy, and uh, try for another release and kind of repeat that process in a, in a rapid fashion. So I think it is good at this point, right, to actually read off the Agile Manifesto, right? So these are the principles that guide all the different implementations of Agile. And those principles are individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. And in our traditional model, right, we want to come up with a plan for the year. We want to fix what has to be delivered at any point, right? So create a contract of exactly what is going to be done. You know, we we tend to document exactly what that is or how it's to be done. And and then Almost we first. Our, our processes and tools and, and, and execute that in a certain way so that we can try to attempt to guarantee that outcome. Yeah. So these are principles about what is the most important thing. And the most important thing for the organization is the outcome, right? It's, it's not the procedure for getting to that. And Agile just says, we're going to ignore some of those traditional things and actually focus on what gets us to the best outcome. Yeah. A really common misconception about Agile is that Agile is about fast software delivery. And I actually said that earlier. Um, it's, it's really common. It's really not about that. It's about fast readjustment of the strategy to the market, right? You, you know, so you, instead so of taking agile, a whole year to adjust your strategy, you, you look yeah. at how clients are doing and then adjust your strategy. So I can't move to agile and get 50% more stuff done this year. Yeah. That's a really common, uh, complaint that people have is they're like, we went to agile and things are slower or you know, things like that. And Agile is, I mean, to some extent, uh, Agile is going to be a little slower because you're releasing initially, not eventually, but initially, because you're releasing and you're looking at the market to see how that release is going and you may need to adjust your strategy. Mm -hmm. But it's way better to have that process of release, analyze, adjust, release, analyze, adjust, than to go the whole year and then release something and find out it's a total disaster. I, I don't know if you've done this in the past, Vince, but I have released products where literally the consultants in my company came to us the week before the release and were like, don't release this. It is better to trash a full team of development work for a year than for this thing to get out in the market because it's going to ruin the product. And that is really 
very difficult thing to explain both to executives and the development team that this is what's about to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, actually, so there's, there's a good point there, right? Which is as we make changes, right? We want to make them in smaller increments. So we know whether or not they are working and we want some data coming from the, you know, the use of that product to help us guide those sorts of decisions, right? Otherwise, we're just making some like gut guess on what is the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So yeah, that, that, uh, that data is a key bit of, I think that's one of the key changes of Agile compared to Waterfall is trying to kind of listen to the, the customer, listen to the client and try to get as much feedback as possible yeah. uh, as you're moving forward. Because yes, you are releasing and you're, you're getting that software out, which is uh, one of the significant changes from Waterfall. Not, not really big software, not really massive functions, little bits and pieces, but you also need feedback. And I think that's one of the things that you need to, that executives need to understand is that they need to, um, not, not necessarily executives, but executives, yes, and product managers, they need to get extract feedback from, from clients uh, in order to better figure out how to go forward. It's better if it's an automatic feedback system, but even if it's just informal polling of clients, that's, that's also good if that's all you have. So, all right. So, all right. So we're not going to get 50% more output from Agile. And in fact, by switching to Agile, you know, there's going to be some, some penalty for change, right? People are learning a new process as opposed to what they were used to doing and what they had optimized before, right? So processes are going to change. It's going to be uncertain for some people, but I can stop pretending, right, that I have this like command and control plan for the whole organization. And if for anybody who's seen a, uh, a 5,000 plus line Microsoft project Gantt chart, um, those things those are, are impossible to scale beyond a certain, a certain level, right? There, there are things of beauty. They solve everything for everyone. If everyone just do their part, like an orchestra. So. Yes, and, and things were to not change and, and we wouldn't have ripples from, from those individual changes. You can go end to end and build the perfect post office system only to find out that everyone's using email at the end of the year. You're like, but what my post office? All right. So, so now I have some teams that are starting to work agile and they have certain roles on those teams. Right. And, and that's a little bit different from how we traditionally have this. I don't know what uh, our listeners, normal IT organizations are like, but you know, IT with managers, team leads, people on those teams that, that actually do the work and then project management requirements, QA testing, all of these different roles. Yeah. And I think a, a core principle behind agile, right. Is to get a relatively small uh, team that is as autonomous as possible. Right. So we know there's a cost to communications, right. That's Conway's law. And basically we want teams that are like to be fed by two pizzas because any more than that, you lose too much in communication when you add somebody. Fair enough. So, so we get a small team and we get people performing. What are these traditional roles that happen in these different divisions, right? Or different departments. So that team is responsible for figuring out what, what they're going to build, right? For describing what they're going to build for building it, for testing it, for 
all of their QA and actually releasing that to the market and seeing how that functions when it's deployed. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of different roles uh, in that kind of model compared to the traditional waterfall model where people are just basically hammering away on keyboards for uh, product for feature delivery mm. for the entire year. You know, it also strikes me that there's a, a separate, a different component of ownership in agile model, as opposed to how waterfall is implemented and handed off in most organizations. So in our traditional waterfall organization, right, the developers will build something. It'll go through QA and testing, and then some other team will provide the production support for that. And we hope that there's a good feedback loop between those issues and the people who can ultimately uh, fix them and prevent them from happening in the first place. But, um, you know, there are also some, some shaky incentives there, right? So you've got to production support people who want to keep their jobs and yep. uh, want to continue supporting things. And in, in an agile model, right, it's the team that builds it um, that supports it over time, right? They have the incentive to build it in a way that it doesn't break, that they don't get called in the middle of the night, and, yep. you know, that they roll out new features that are stable the first time and, and bring some benefit to their product. And they use that uh, aspect of supporting the product to understand how people are using it, right? There's this whole question of, oh, it's not a bug, it's a feature, that kind of thing. And if you give it to the client and they don't use the product the way you expected to use it, it's a bug. Right. It's it's not like the client's dumb. It's, hey, the product isn't built the way the client needs it to be built. So there's no going back and saying, oh, well, we, we built it as per the, the specification, as per the contract. And I don't care whether it's working or not for you because I did my part and I fulfilled that contract. And that's one of those core principles in that Agile manifesto, right? That we value um, the outcome and... Yep. and uh, the the collaboration over contract negotiation. So we'll keep working at it until it's right, regardless of what any spec says. And that and that sort of like the risk involved there is a little bit different, right? So if you're if you're building into a contract, uh, you're as much as possible. If you fulfill the contract, you're like great. Like we have satisfied uh, the contract. We have we have done what we wanted. We have mitigated risk as much as possible on this particular product and it, it does exactly what we say but you still may have pissed off customers who are trying to use it and it doesn't work the way it you want it to work whereas if you have teams who are like working working products in the hands of customers and feedback from the customers on how to use the on how the product's using and what uh, working and what they need well then you're mitigating the risk of actual the actual people who are actually using this and how they're reacting to it and so they're going to be happier with it and they're going to recommend it to other people and use it for longer and things like that. And yes, you won't have that, that well-defined contract that you can point to that we accomplish these things, but you will have customers, which is kind of important for a business. Yeah. And I think a key point behind this, right, is the release early and release often philosophy, right? So the more change we have and we hold up, if we work on something for six months or a year and and get it wrong, right? There are bigger consequences to that, especially when we have market deadlines and external deadlines. Yep. But if we're, we're delivering in uh, one to two week increments, we're never gonna be that far off course. We're always gonna be yep. building towards 
what we know is the right thing for a customer. Even if, you know, we, we pivot from week to week, we're not pivoting and we're not getting it wrong by six months at a time. Absolutely. But, and also, but the way that works out for executives is that actually ends up, it, it's a little funny because at the beginning, the metrics aren't as good as what you get with waterfall, right? With waterfall, you would have these checkpoints, maybe once a month, maybe once every three months mm-hmm. or something. And at the checkpoints, there'd be some sort of mad dash by the development team to get something that they can show to everyone. Everyone's like, good, this checks off. This is where we want to be and move forward with the, with the agile you're doing these two week sprints and these initial checkpoints that happen in I'm missing on the word here that you get in agile, uh, these demos that happen in agile, they don't demo very much, right? Not, not a lot's going on. The burn down chart has not moved very far and it, it can be a little worrisome at the beginning of these projects. Hey, you know what? We've, we've committed to this direction, but we're not getting nearly as far as I am normally used mm-hmm. to in seeing in these three month checkpoints that I get with waterfall. But then over time, you, you end up with a much, you have these repeated points, you know, uh, anything with like statistics, uh, you're, you're going to have better statistics if you have more measurements, right? So you're going to have these repeated points over time of how the team is doing and so better forecastability going forward. So initially it'll look bad and there, there's going to be, that's definitely something you need to work with people explaining how this is going to work that what they're expecting to see is a little bit different than, than what they're used to. Um, but then once you've established a baseline and established a cadence, you're going to have a much better predictability measure than you had previously. Well, there are so many things to talk about there. First, let's talk about those team measurements. And then let's talk about the, the risk mitigation factors of all of this stuff. So, so in an agile team itself, right, the, the team has to find some way to measure different pieces of work and to take, take those pieces of work on, right? So they, they tend to use something called story points. And the team will assign a number of points to the individual tasks that they see having that, that need to be done to accomplish some outcome. So they'll, they'll take on within some period of time, right, by one or two week sprint, a certain number of points a certain number of tasks right, assigned to those and try to get them all done within that period. And, and it's a good thing to look at and say, how many points is this team taking on within every sprint? And are they actually completing all the things that they are completing? And that's, that's what helps you get more accurate over time. So the team should be getting better at estimating the, um, the complexity or the level of points in some in, in work over time. And they should also get better at figuring out how much of that they can actually do. Or you can, at least you can look at that in a team level and say, have they been consistently underperforming what they intended to do? So if the team takes on 100 points every sprint and they only average 80 over a consistent period of time, you can be pretty sure that they need to either reduce their commitments or they need to get better at their estimation. Yeah. Um, yes. And on the estimate side, you know, there's a little bit of that sort of aim small, miss small kind of kind of yeah. aspect where uh, as they're breaking these things down into stories that are um, of, of particularly small sizes, there's obviously recommended uh, story sizes for a team. Um, 
then it's easier for them to identify, yeah, this, this is actually something we can accomplish in the next two weeks. And looking forward, the next two weeks after that, and the next two weeks after that, not all the way to the end, not to the end of the year, but you know, the next uh, three or four sprints, we got a pretty good idea how close we're going to be to uh, completing a feature in the next three or four yeah. sprints. And um, if they're going to be off, they're not going to be off by multiple multiples of sprints. They're going to be off by one sprint, things like that. So that gets to the whole concept of product increments, right? Which is a way to look at four or five sprints in a period and say, these are the bigger objectives we think the team is, is going to aim for over this period, right? And those are the things that, that are like those company type commitments, right? Yeah, so the team absolutely. Know what those sorts of things are so that they can break them down and figure out how to deliver those. Or even better, if that team gets to originate those larger goals themselves. Yeah. And, and then that, that's also um, begins to talk about areas where the executive team gets a little bit happier to, to work in is things like scaled agile and seeing lots of teams working together on particular initiatives or strategies uh, that can help help them understand the, the larger picture because because they may not be like the, the, you know they're not used to seeing exactly how the sausage is made all the time with every single uh, three month checkpoint and waterfall and if you start to show them all these you know two week checkpoints in agile they might be like this is like way too much detail i'm i'm, mm. I'm not really sure that i want to be here for every single one of these meetings and get deep in the weeds and all of this and so you you know as you have these larger structures in agile you can say hey show up to these types of things we'll we'll manage the smaller checkpoints in in between yeah so so that's a good point right it's so the team measures at a very granular level in fact more so than in traditional waterfall development in traditional waterfall right that that's done by a project manager that that pulls that team together on some period and asks everybody, did you do all of these things? Here's what you're doing next, right? So the team organizes a lot of that deliverable and they measure that themselves. So for me, as a, as a technical, technical executive or engineering manager, right? Traditionally, you know, I would make commitments on behalf of my team, right? To deliver certain things. I'd, I'd be hiring the people or, or pushing for training for these people or, or moving and swapping people around uh, in a way that gave me more confidence that we'd be able to, to meet those objectives. Then I'd meet with that team. I'd tell them what we have to build and sometimes even how to go and build that or how to break that work down. They'd have a project manager help organize that sort of stuff. And I would be responsible for checking in to see, are we on track for delivering those things? My role changes then in an agile environment, right? Because I'm not the one making commitments for that team anymore. Yeah. You're, the teams are making commitments for themselves. And your, and your job is, in a way, to educate people around, uh, including even clients, about, hey, you know what? We are not going to commit to this thing on this date. We, are, we have a strategy to head in that direction. But we're going to be delivering things to you that you're going to use and you're going to tell us whether it's working for you and we're going to readjust as we get feedback. So, so your responsibility becomes uh, both better understanding of the teams and interfacing with the clients in a way. Yeah. So I'm still responsible for um, 
the, the, the people that are there, right, for, for hiring good software developers, right, for making sure they're good software developers and that they're improving over time, right, that they're meeting their personal objectives for improvement. That's the most critical part of your job, as always, yeah. Yeah, but it's generally easier to, to skip that piece and say, if you're meeting your project plan requirements, then we don't have a problem. <laughs> so it's a little bit different in Agile. Yeah. One of the things that I, I've personally seen is management either is higher level and, and they never get hands on anyway, or they're at the team lead level where maybe they spend a little less time doing those traditional management tasks and more time hands on leading by example. Yeah. Part of the point of this conversation is to, to, to point out that you need to be managing that relationship at a higher level in order to yeah. give your team because otherwise someone's going to come down like a ton of bricks on the whole uh, initiative and be like, I don't understand it. I'm closing it down. What, one thing I, I do want to call out here is like the QA relationship, right? Like waterfall is, in my opinion, uh, often built on lies, right? You're going to sort of promise you're going to get this stuff done by the end of the year. You don't really have the resources for it. It takes a lot longer. And the thing that compresses during uh, the, the period of uh, delivery for waterfall is the QA time. You're way behind on, you know, development was supposed to take nine months and then QA three months. Development takes 11 and a half months and then the QA team is, is sort of beaten with sticks to try to get everything done in the last two weeks. And this happens like across the company for a waterfall style company. And so generally the QA team is generally kind of abused and uh, pressured a lot to get stuff done. And on, behalf of, on behalf of the development teams, I'd like to say that uh, testing them long and they're compressing our, our time as well. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we would totally have gotten that thing out the door if it wasn't for the QA guys not being able to test. Jeez. Um, but one thing I think that does happen is if you're doing these iterative releases, the QA people start to get a much greater voice in the process because they're testing every, you know, they're, you can't release every two weeks unless the yeah. QA people are, are working on it. And so I do think that your QA expenses uh, and budget starts to expand as you realize that, you know, basically for years you've been underfunding this particular part yeah. of the company. And in order to get good product, you need them to be better. It's not maybe guaranteed for every company that they've treated their QA department badly for years. But honestly, I've seen many companies that have done that. So. Well, I'd also like to say that, right, this, this works really well in conjunction with test-driven development, right? Oh, so yeah. often developers will look at it and say, oh, we've got all this technical debt in our code base. We don't have proper automated testing for these things because we didn't have time to write it. What I've seen work really well in agile environments is doing more of that testing upfront. So writing the tests, having QA work with developers before all the code is written to identify what those tests are to build automation around that. So more upfront cost for that QA, but long-term the cost gets significantly down and helps us scale the complexity of products in a way that manual testing never did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then that is still actually a, a budgetary cost problem because yep. instead of having QA people who are, say, reading off a document and clicking on various things in the document, you need QA people who can write automated tests. And generally those types of people, yep. uh, that type of resource is going to be a more expensive resource. So, you know, one way or the other, you're going to be paying for more QA than 
uh, you might have a year earlier with waterfall. And I think so that's just like worth calling out. So, Well, to that point, yeah. right, Agile helps us focus on quality of the work that we are doing more so than the quantity of work, right? And, and the, the core principle there is if we think we, we can focus and, and improve quality, that quantity will, will shake itself out over time. That yeah. quantity will yeah. be a byproduct of getting the quality right and, and scaling that. Yeah, and you'll have happier clients because instead of your clients being the, the real QA testers for your product, uh, your clients will be you know receiving finished products that they actually like and enjoy and want to continue using. All right, so, so let's summarize then for, for management. What are some of the things that we, we want to do, we want to focus on as we move to Agile? Uh, first, let's always try to hire the best people that you can afford, right? So focus on quality over quantity because they're all going to be working together in, a, in smaller teams and a weak, a weak link there is going to piss off the whole team. Yep, and you're looking for owners, people who are going to own stuff. So. Um, make sure those teams have what they need to be successful, right? So they're not worrying about computers and monitors and the environment or, or training or even necessarily time for learning, right? So try to make it so they don't have to worry about the rest of the organization and they can focus on producing a product. Agreed. Right. You still have the responsibility of, of clarifying the organization's goals and the organization's values and making sure those teams are, are following right, those values. Yep. You're still Otherwise, they can't really own it. Organization. Yeah. Yep. Right? You're, you're still going to be fighting for, for compensation to make sure there's, um, there's fairness and, and people are, are doing you know, all right relative to market. They don't feel like the organization is undervaluing them. Um, and you still need, you have a role in clarifying the organizations and the market's critical deliverables, right? Yeah, they could work on anything. They need some guidance on exactly what we need in order to really do a good job. And as long yeah. as you give them that guidance and these people are great people, they're gonna, they're gonna figure out a way to do it. Hmm. And then you want to make that team as autonomous as possible, right? So, so they can go and get that done without having to, to continue to contract with, with everybody else. Yeah, definitely. Right? So hire really good people and empower them to do great work. Core, man core management and leadership principles. Those are great people to work for. So. Right? Things, things that we want to avoid doing, right? One, I think, is, is breaking up that team autonomy, right? So starting having outsourced functions like testing or QA or even requirements, if they're not acting as part of that team, it, that interface is going to cause problems. Try not to cheap out on certain resources that are part of that team. I'd say try to avoid what, what is traditionally micromanagement by telling that team exactly what to do or how to do it that undercuts their autonomy and their ownership of that product. Undercuts uh, creative solutions that you know may take advantage of not doing things in order to excel at doing what actually needs to be done. If you tell them they have to do this, they will do it. If you tell them they have to solve this problem, they'll figure out how to solve it and they may not have to do nearly as much as you told them if you yeah. went the other way. 
Um, don't go in and, and demand your standard Gantt chart, right? Which is show me everything you're going to do and the dates by which it's going to be done. Never, never worked well for software. Um, yeah, I'm and sure also, it did work. So yeah, <laughs> you know, and also don't shuffle resources between teams unless it's absolutely critical, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's some amount of budget change that happens, right? So some years your company may be growing and you may have the ability to hire and add some people to those teams. And sometimes a pandemic will come up and you may have to, you know, you may have to make some cuts, but the more continuity the members on that team have, the more context they're going to have, the more their team has going to uh, gone through their whole storming, norming, performing stuff, and the, the better that team is going to work. Yep. The, the more often you make personnel changes, the more friction there's going to be, and the team performance isn't going to be as high. And that, that long-term predictability of performance, you know, the, the variation is going to get higher and higher, and the, the band of uncertainty is going to get greater and greater. But so as a, as a manager in an organization that's transitioning to Agile, ask for data, pay attention to, to some of these metrics, value that you have some of these things now that you didn't have in the past and see if they improve over time. Encourage, Absolutely. encourage the team to be creative and, and to figure out ways to improve those things and empower them. I think that's a great summary. So, well, let's wrap it. And uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, thank you. All right. If you like the show, please show us some love on the Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. The views and opinions are solely those of the speakers and not the opinions of any third party. The same holds true for guests, if we ever have guests. We don't guarantee completeness or accuracy. We don't assume responsibility or liability for the information. This content is provided for general information only, and if you choose to rely upon it, you do so at your own risk. This should not be considered professional advice. Thank you.